0: I give you that international sensation.
1: What good is sitting alone in your room? Come hear the music play. Welcome to Queer Now, the Talk Film Society podcast, where we take you on a time-hopping journey through queer cinema, going decade by decade to discover how it has evolved over the years. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Dave Giannini, and I'm here with my co-host, Manish Mothar. So we're we're into 2016 now, Manish, so we're going to talk about both uh, The Handmaiden and Moonlight. So Manish, why couldn't you make a choice? Why, why couldn't you just pick one? Because they're both
0: classics, okay? Both yes, iconic. I agree.
1: Yes, for sure. Uh, and it's interesting. Like we we got two movies, but like we were both kind of going through the list of other gay movies made in 2016. Uh, it's not much, actually. Like the other the other years we've looked at, it, we're like, oh well, there's these other five. That would be interesting, maybe, to talk about. Uh, but we have these two kind of pinnacle films in The handmade Moonlight. But the only other movie, really, that I would have considered covering is a movie called Bean 17, which is a French kind of coming of age gay story. But we've already done a fair amount of coming of age stuff, um, a coming out story. So I was like, okay, let's, let's stick with, as you say, the classics. Uh, of 2016. Yeah. Um, so first we have, um, The Handmaiden. So The Handmaiden, uh, directed by Park, uh, Park Chan-wook. Um, this is a movie I actually surprisingly saw in the theater. I say surprisingly, because this is not, it's not something that got like a massive film release, but if you live in certain areas of the country, you know, you have more opportunities to see, especially, uh, movies that aren't in English. Um and I don't think I'd actually I don't think I was really experienced with Park Chan work before this movie. I think I kind of worked backwards after seeing The Handmaid. Uh
0: could you remind me of uh uh Park's films that are more well known here in the US?
1: Yeah, um probably his most well known is probably Old Boy, uh which is I think well known probably just because it's so messed up and crazy yeah, I and because that. Spike okay. Lee and also Spike Lee did a terrible update of it, apparently. I never saw it. Um, he also did the the Vengeance trilogy, um, which is uh, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, uh, Lady Vengeance. And I feel like there's one other one in there that I'm missing. But um, And then he also did um, Thirst and Stoker. Um, so, you know, it kinda, he kind of fits into that. I, there's this kind of idea of Korean films, like, oh, these are the messed up movies, right? Like, yeah. oh, they're so crazy. And I think he is, you know, guilty of that. Like, there's a lot of – he's really going for some shock value in a lot of his films. It's interesting. I feel like maybe Handmaiden may be one of the least shocking of his movies, and there's still plenty there, to kind of get under your skin and really kind of drive you crazy, but it's not Old Boy. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah, I mean I've seen I've only seen Stoker and Old Boy
0: of his uh, filmography and I, I from what I understand of his films and kind of what I've seen is I feel like um, Handmaiden is probably the least kinda of extreme in that in that way, especially I mean especially compared to like Old Boy and his other Korean language movies. Um, but I find that like the handmaiden is so fascinating because I think that a lot of it, I, well, I think partially why I find it so fascinating is that because it's based off an English novel that was like kind of mm-hmm. readapted into a different holiday, different
1: culture and language and, um, history. Yeah, it, a couple it, cultures. Yeah, I mean, it's cultures. kind of playing with the Korean and Japanese and wanting to be a part of one and thinking one is above the other. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, and so I did see this movie in the theater as well. I saw it on Halloween in 2016. Um, nice. And <laughs> I saw it, like, not even really knowing... Um, not not knowing anything about it aside from the fact that it had just gotten like so much acclaim that I, you know, it, I was like kind of looking at what movie to go see. I had this is back in the movie pass days, so I was like, well, you know, this movie is being accepted by movie pass, and it's kind of cool. I've heard <laughs> it's like really great and. um i i I must have known that it was from the same director as old boy because I'm pretty sure like that was something that excited me as well, and I was just being like i didn't even know what it was about honestly like I knew there was a handmaid in, but I didn't know like <laughs> i i didn't know like i I don't think I'd even seen the trailer um and just like was so blown away by it, and then I watched it again recently, yeah. and it's just so like. I mean, like, talk about a movie that reveals so many layers, like, the more you watch it. Like, mm-hmm. this movie is like, there are so many, like, connections and echoes and, like, mirror, like, um, like mirror cuts. They're just so, it's just, like, fascinating. Mm-hmm. And, like, uh, the Park Chan Wook is, like, I mean, he's a master filmmaker, of course, but, like, I think this movie is, um, I think one of the most elegantly made films I- I've seen in recent years.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a couple things in what you said that made me think. And one is that I also went into this totally blind, knew nothing about it, yeah. uh, which is kind of the best way. It's kind of the best way to watch a movie like this um, because it does have so many twists and turns. And I think if you're expecting a movie with twists and turns, it may, maybe it suffers a little yeah. bit. But also, it is the rare film with lots of twists and turns that not only holds up on rewatch, but gets better. Like every time I watch this, like you said, there's all these, these things that you weren't looking for the first time you watched it. And when you watch it again, you're like, Oh, that's what's going on here. That's what's going on there. You really see, you know, we talk about performances but like it's not just the performances of the actor it's the performances of the character that you get to see because everyone is playing a role right, and playing a right. different part with every other character and that really hits home as you're watching it a second third fourth time and, i mean just i mean the the performance from kim min he here is just stunning it's phenomenal and it there's not a weak moment in it um it's sometimes with the kind of part one part two part three i think the first time you see it it maybe feels like the tiniest bit of a cheat because you get you get like a different angle and you get an extended sequence that you didn't get the first time through uh it's showing you extra but that's also the mark of a master filmmaker where he's letting he's letting the film unfold you know like the first the first part is a brilliant short film all on its own but it gets so much more complex and has so much more depth as you see part two and part three.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I I mean you kind of you kinda of like echo kind of like a, I remember like what I was thinking, um, you know, when I first saw the film and that like as we get to like part three, it's like not that I could kind of guess the like twist, but I kind of got used to the rhythm of the film, so I kinda of knew what mm-hmm. I might be expecting and I was, like, right a little bit, incorrect a little bit on on that, but, like, um, when I watch it again, just, like, how much this movie is, like, a puzzle that just, like, clicks into place, and then as it's happening, it's, like, Mm -hmm. I mean, um, in some ways, like, when I can see a twist coming, like, I get more excited because it's, like, means everything is, like, (laughs) working like clockwork. Like I'm not it's all coming wrong. together. You know what I yeah. mean? Like there's some I like I know some people like when they see a twist coming, it kind of ruins it for them. And I totally get that because like I th- I think in some movies, like when like a twist is meant to be there to be like shocking versus like you know, inevitable, then I think that like mm-hmm. you know, like a-, a gotcha twist, if you see that coming, it kind of ruins it. But a movie like this where it's like there's so much buildup, right. so much tension that, like, as it's clicking together, you just get really excited because, like, it's doing the thing that you want <laughs> to do.
1: Yeah, and I remember uh, when first watching this theater, there's a certain exhaustion that comes with this movie, and yeah. I don't mean that in a way you're like, "Oh god, I just want this to be over." But like, when part three pops up on the screen, I was like, "Holy shit! There's a part three! Yeah, like, yeah. what else could go? Right. What else could go here?" Could and by the time, yeah right but there's not there's also not a single part part one part two part three that feels weak like they all feel necessary uh to make to make this film complete and i just i also there's i follow uh, a lot of queer women on twitter and there seems to be this really interesting divide about the handmaiden um some lesbians i know really don't like this movie Um, They view it as, you know, the male gaze as performative as all that. And some lesbians that I've met are they think that but that's actually why it's good, because literally in a lot of ways, this movie is about a woman trying to escape the male gaze Mm -hmm. like her whole life has been surrounded by the male gaze. So of course the movie is going to be filled with the male gaze. The only thing I could see really getting upset about is the scissoring sequence, uh, later in the film. Um, because that's like kind of the most performative male version of female on female sexuality that is there. And I actually read a interview with Park Chan-wook and I was pretty disappointed because he was like very defensive about bringing uh, up the male gaze.
0: Yeah. What did he say? Do you remember?
1: Uh, Yeah, was basically like, I just wish, you know, people could see a movie for what it is and not be obsessed with the fact that a man filmed it. You know, Uh, and I'm just like, uh, come on, think a little, think a little deeper. Come on. Like you, you bring something to this movie and that's okay. It doesn't make it a bad film. You know, it makes it, it makes it an interesting film. And, and the fact that this woman has been essentially trained to be on display since she was a child. I mean, it's not only terrifying and disgusting, but it makes the fact that when she comes out on top, it makes it so satisfying that all the men, like we've talked in other movies about men either not being thought of or treated poorly. I mean, the men get what is coming to them in this movie. Like none of them come out okay. And none of them should. They're all rats. So it's like, you know, it really, it really works. And it's a movie that, I I kind of can't believe how well it works on Rewatch. Like, I watched it again just before our recording, and I was like, man, this is... I mean, not only is it a great movie, it's a great story, it has all these great twists and turns, but, you know, there used to be, like, a I think it used to be a Twitter account called Every Frame of Painting, but this is like, oh, my God, it's beautiful. The costumes, the sets, like, just... I mean, they make a point and it becomes a story bit, but they make a point of like, let's show off all the costumes. Let's show off all the corsets and the gloves and the jewels and everything. And and it's filmed so lovingly and so lushly that you just can't help but be drawn into this world, which puts you in the place of one of your lead characters who has been poor all her life and just is wanting, at least at the start, to use this as, as an escape. To get all the to get the money to get the clothes to get the jewels and to just you know make her own way in the world and you feel that as she is kind of ogling all this stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean this this film really plays into something that I really love, which is like old big old houses that are very like labyrinthine. Is that yeah? Mm -hmm. Um, And like you know, just like I mean, this movie was the set was built for the film and. Uh, right? Or was it they they didn't find this castle or this like no no I think it was built built specifically for for it. And so like you know when like when a house is like built for the film like I mean we saw this with Parasite you know last year Mm -hmm. when like the house is like built for the film like every inch of it is used in a way that's so imaginative and like that's how I felt about this movie where it's like you know, like where Suki is sleeping, or like the the layout of the bedroom, the the architecture, mm-hmm. the you know the you know, the tree outside is such a major part of the film. Oh, yeah, and it's like the it's like you can just tell they like built this tree, and it's just like they're using it exactly the way that a tree like that should be used in a movie like this. You know, it's like mm-hmm. there's no like the set isn't just like there for decoration. Every every room counts, and everything matters, and. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you were talking earlier about the like the sexuality in the film, and I mean, of course, like who am I to say you know what you know what people find offensive or not? But I think that what I find very fascinating about this movie is that like, as like weird as it is, is that like you know the scissoring or whatever, like there's there's such a jubilance to it and such a like excitement mm-hmm. to the sex scenes that. When you contrast them to like the the men in the film who are like very repressed and very like mm-hmm. their sexuality can only be expressed in these like um um like reductive and somewhat violent and awkward, you know, you have like the group of men mm-hmm. who are just like what listening to erotica and that's how they get off, like it's so <laughs> it's so weird. But you could you, you compare that to Suki and Lady Hideko who are like having the time of their lives, and they're, like, enact... I mean, like, I remember reading one article saying that, like, the sex in this movie are, like, in a way supposed to be performative because these two people are... These two women are in, you know, are um, having sex in a way that, like, is frowned upon because it's, you know, two women, and it's very forbidden, and it's very passionate, and, and hushed and quiet, and they're kind of thrilled by the fact that they're, like doing something forbidden, so that's a little performative, because they're, like, performing their pleasure for each other,
1: in a way. Does that make sense? Right. Or... It does, and they're also performing. Yeah. yeah. They're not who they say they are, they're right. not, you know, like, so it makes perfect sense. I think, also, one thing uh, that's worth noting is, there's a lot of queer movies that make a very big deal about the discovery of the fact that they're gay, or, you know, the that they're having feelings for someone of the same gender. Right. I love the the fact that 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 is all like done really simply here where she first meets her and then internally she's like basically like oh shit she's really pretty he should have told me that she was this hot and that's it that's all you need to know and you know that there's an attraction there and that there's something there and then you can just move forward it doesn't have to be this tortured like oh god am i gay am i straight am i like no no she's just hot and like okay let's go you know and i think When you talking about kind of the difference, it's something I, it makes perfect sense when you said it, but it's not something I would have thought of is how different the sexuality is between the men and the women. The men are not only repressed, they're, I mean, by nature of this film, they're perverted. Yeah. You know, that is, that is the whole, or, or they're like our main male character who's just like. I don't care how hot you are. I want my money. You know, it's only after that one thing. And then you have the female characters who are like quite literally diving into their sexuality, like just going for it in every moment. And there's also some really creative camera angles that are being used here. And some of it could be, I've seen some people react to this and I don't know if it's because it's uncomfortable or because it's actually funny, but with laughing, because you see, you see that hesitation before one of the women goes down on the other and her tongue just slowly coming out, like not sure she's doing the right thing and all that. But I think it's like it really shows that even though they're performing for one another, even though they're lying to one another, there is an attraction. Yeah. There is an immediacy to their interactions, which is the only reason why the ending works. Because if you don't believe that they care for one another, then why would you be happy for them by the end of the movie? Yeah. But there's all these like little moments where, you know, Lady Hideko is like, Oh, is this what people have been talking about? Like someone who would really be there for you, someone who, who you can connect with. So you see underneath all the machinations and all the game playing that there is something real there.
0: Right. Exactly. And, um, I think that, like... Well, for one thing I, I want to bring up is that I think the most erotic scene, actually, is not the sex scene, but the um, teeth-cleaning scene, or, like, you know... Oh, my God.
1: Like yeah. That's a, I mean, and intimacy, that's, like, one of the first interactions. Yeah, that's right. That's where it starts.
0: Yes. Um, like, that, to me, is so erotic. It's just so intimate, and it's so, like, you know, measured and, and layered and, and intricate. So... Um yeah, I mean I definitely think that like you kinda need that there the the relationship that, that these two women have, I think is so fascinating and like the ending works, I think, for exactly the reasons you're saying it does. Yeah. I mean it's just so like you know, their their excitement and um, you know, their connection is just so strong in in the film. And mm-hmm. I also think that like you know, you are mentioning the like the tongue and how that's a little silly. I mean, I kind of like when sex scenes are a little silly because, like, sex is yeah. kind of silly. And, like I, don't, I don't it's think it's a, like, I don't think it's a <laughs> knock... <laughs> I don't think it's a knock against the movie that, like, people are laughing at that because I think in some ways, like, it could be played for laughs, I think, intentionally. Because uh, I, I remember laughing at that the first time. It was just so, like, ridiculous. But, like, mm-hmm. this movie is... I think, like, what I find so enthralling about this film is that, like, it isn't as, like, self-serious as um, it, like, could be. Like, it is a little ridiculous mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways, but in a way that I find intentional, not, like, over the top, you know, overwrought. I mean, do you agree with that, or do you think I'm... Just,
1: yeah, like, oh, no, I think it's it's one of the things I was thinking of um, while you were talking, is this would be a shocking, like, funny. Yeah. Because um, yeah, I think you walk into it expecting, like, an erotic thriller or right. something like that. But there is a sequence where, you know, Hideko goes to hang herself. Um, and then you know her life, her life is saved. And then the, you know they start talking, and she's crying. And then she like accidentally walks away, and like she drops it, is like choking, and she has to like rush back and apologize. It is so darkly funny, and there's a bunch of moments like that yeah, in this yeah. movie. And- But I think they're needed, too, because otherwise, like you said, this movie is going to be so overwrought and so over the top because everything is so dramatic and performative, you know, all that, that you need these tiny moments of levity. Even simple things like, you know, one of our lead female characters dressing up like a man when they're escaping in this ridiculous pencil-thin mustache, you know, like just these really beautiful little moments that relieve the constant tension. this movie because let's be real this is a movie about like one person trying to rob another and the other person setting them up to rob them and like locking them away in an institution like it is it's a little rough you know so in order to release that you do need the romance and you do need the comedy and I think it it's remarkably well balanced in that way and this is it's and I say that offhandedly but that's not an easy thing to do in a movie like this
0: no, not at all I mean it's a, it's the a balance of tone is so so well done, and I think that's like you know I mean I think like old boy is very similar in that way, and that like it, it can have this like over the top like kind of you know wrenching thing, but it's also like so ludicrous that like it's a it's a like balance that is so fascinating because like by making it funny he like it's almost like. More serious. I don't know. It's like, mm-hmm. it, yeah. it's it's like the tone. I think because like, you know, everything is just so extreme in this movie that by making it funny, it's like acknowledging how extreme it is. But then when you acknowledge how extreme it is, you realize how extreme it is.
1: Right. Like, yeah. It, does it a really does sentence. But- <laughs> no, but it, it like it accesses how extreme it is yeah like it just like there is so much and I actually prefer this to old boy I think old boy goes a little bit too far on the extreme uh, yeah, end there's things there's things I love about old boy like there's some there's some fantastic shots in that movie that I will never forget but i I would pick this over old boy any day of the week like it just it just really hits all those marks
0: I think because like this movie has an element of like romance to it. Um, and mm-hmm. I don't just mean, like, romance and like, love, but just, like, I mean, just, like, it's a, you know, it's a period film, it has, like, these like, extravagant costumes, it, the camera work, the editing, the production design, it's just so ornate and so beautiful that mm-hmm. it's, I find it easier or more accessible to me because, like, this is the kind of movie that I love, you know, like, mansions yeah. and ghosts and whatever, <laughs> like, I love all that stuff.
1: Um, yeah, then, I feel like it's impossible not to get swept up in it yeah, in the exactly. in the romance of it. It yeah. kind of it kind of in a way like I think this would make just an incredible double feature with something like Crimson Peak. Oh, like yeah, you know you have exactly. that. that- romantic aspect and the haunted house and the, you know, the giant mansion that's clearly just built for this film. And, you know, they're different movies for sure, but they have enough kind of thematic similarities, you know, like maybe falling in love with someone you shouldn't and someone who has secrets. And this is also my kind of movie. Like, I was just like, yes, let me, let's really dive into this, you know, like, and I think the, the, the male characters are so delightfully just, gross rancid yeah like just disgusting you know like the the uncle you know with his like ink-stained mouth and like from the very beginning is shown to be absolutely disgusting yeah. uh and i love that i love that he never changes like it's not there's no character arc for this guy he's a terrible man who gets punished as he should be. And he gets to do some of the punishment to another terrible man. Um, So, and and I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of interesting things in this movie that I don't feel qualified to be the person to speak about. I'm not the person to speak about Korean culture versus Japanese culture, but I did find that aspect really interesting of like wanting to be a part of a culture that you view as more beautiful and refined. Yeah. Um, And that, that is what kind of is holding holding the spell over these two men. You know, to be... They want to be something they're not, to be something better, quote-unquote better, than they are. And something they can literally never achieve except by means of subterfuge, which ends up defining their entire characters.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, um... It's a... this a like, concept of, like, um... Mobility between the classes and, you know, the... Mm-hmm. The element of someone like pretending to be someone they're not, and finding that like you've been interacting with someone who's a quote unquote lower class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just like this movie. Just so many, you know. It's just so. I I mean, I think this is like I, again like one of the best movies of the decade. Like it's just so carefully constructed. It's so deliberate. It's so meticulous, and you know, the. I mean. I just, I keep going back to the editing. I think the editing is just so delightfully executed. You know, there's just so much going for it. And, you know, I mean, the queerness in this movie as well, I think is like, you know, again, it's like, you know, Suki and Lady Hideko are living in an era where they can't define, you know, what they are to each other or what they are in general in terms of, you know, they're just, again, they're just like, People who found themselves in this situation and are, you know, experiencing a, an attraction and going with it. It's just like, and beyond that, they have, you know, be, like the romance, the like the love story in this movie is almost like a subplot to all the, mm-hmm. you know, sort of the, all the, um, the schemes and the twists and, and you know, the, the money and everything like that. It's just so like. Mm-hmm so just so fascinating i mean i keep using that word but like it's just yeah there's just so much i
1: I think the scene that really is impactful um is the the destruction of the book scene i think it's maybe the most most romantic scene in the entire film Mm -hmm. Uh, because i think that is when not only lady hideko realizes but we as an audience recognize that like oh no she really loves her yeah. She wants the best for her. She wants to protect her. Yeah. And I remember when I was first watching it, I kept waiting for Hideko to stop her and to be like, no, no, don't do that. These are valuable, blah, blah, blah. But you can see the like, the, like the joy and almost wrath in yeah. her eyes as she's seeing this new person come into her life and destroy the things that have harmed her. And when you watch it through a second time, it's like it's really impactful. And it maybe is the most romantic queer scene in the entire film. Like, take out all the sexuality and all the oral sex and everything else that's going on. That scene where she finds someone who, because she has another person in her life who is willing to help her escape, but only because he wants the money. Now she she meets someone. Who not only cares for her and shows her physical affection and sex, but also is proving in the moment that she is willing to put her safety on the line to protect her. Yeah. And I was just like, "Oh my god. And and I don't think it's I don't think it's terribly subtle and I don't think it's a mistake that she is staining this old man's book with books with red ink. I think that is <laughs> that they're making a very deliberate choice there. Um but I think it really works and I love how extended that sequence is. Yeah. You could have easily just had like a couple books torn and then you you know, you transition, you move to something else, but it is like and I love that eventually Lady Hideko doesn't just watch; she joins in. She joins in in the destruction. She actually makes a choice to stand up for herself against this man in a direct way, instead of a like I'm gonna I'm gonna make these choices with this other guy and I'm gonna I'm gonna get out and I'm gonna get one over on him. She is making an actual physical choice.
0: Their relationship is so profound because of, of, like, that exact scene where it's, like, it's not just, yeah, like like you were saying, it's not just the sex, it's not just the romantic love, but just, like, genuinely being there for her, and uh-huh. it's, like, they just have this connection that is, and they're also, I mean, like we were saying with Carol in our previous episode, these are just two women who are living for themselves, and in a society where they, where they couldn't, or they, like, wouldn't. Uh-huh. Where it's not as it's not as encouraged. So, um, and so you yeah, that scene with the books. Like again, yeah, it's a great scene. It's so well well executed. But like, it's such a um, nice like symbol of you know these two women just taking taking the power back from you know their pervert uncle and like the count and you know uh-huh. all the other characters who are oppressing them. Um, and I. Um, I wanted to also bring up the like. I mean, yeah, like I'm not as, I'm not as qualified to talk about the like, you know, the the Korean and Japanese, you know, political part, but just like how I mean, I'm really like, watching this movie, just being so excited by like the subtitles being different colors <laughs> because
1: like yeah, it's such a great choice. It's yeah. such a
0: great choice, and it allows for it like. 'Cause like sometimes when you watch foreign films, like you might understand it and be able to like follow the follow the subtitles, but like there's always that element of like is there some kind of cultural thing I'm missing? And I feel like with this film, sure. like with the handmaiden, you like Park really lets you in on the cultural thing. And he makes it not just like a part of the movie but like the central focus of the film and I think in a really fascinating way and it also allows to highlight the relationship between um, Suki and Lady Hideko and how it evolves over the film and how you know they are you know in some ways starting out in in like two defined roles, but then they kind of merge together throughout the film mm-hmm. and as they become more like I guess equals, you know yeah. Absolutely,
1: yeah. It, it is a really interesting choice to make because you had mentioned this is uh, based on an English novel, and like I haven't read it, but I could imagine this like just being a, you know, a choice that uh, Park Ten Wook is making to instead of doing like class and gentry of doing these two distinct cultures, and I could yeah. see it working either way. Yeah. Um, so that's that's kind of cool that you can take something. You know, we you know we talk a lot about you know uh, movies with big budgets not wanting to cast non-white actors and how important representation is and this is like a great example that you can totally flip things around and bring people of different races and backgrounds until and still tell a really interesting story and i think i think this is a perfect example of it like this is like i could definitely see this being done with all white actors being you know set in the uk absolutely but it works just as well if not better with the setting that park chenwick has chosen here yeah
0: absolutely Um, should we talk about the Russo test
1: yeah let's talk about the Russo test since we have two movies to cover uh, on this episode so I'll go through the Russo test this time I won't do it when we talk about Moonlight because I don't want to say the same thing twice in the same episode um, so first the film contains a character that is identifiably queer that character must not be solely or predominantly defined by their orientation or identity and the character must be tied into the plot into in such a way that their removal would have a significant effect um, so does the handmaiden pass the Russo test?
0: Um, I, I think so, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I mean it's queer. interesting
1: Yeah, but does anybody say that they're gay, Manish? (laughs) Your argument for Carol? Does this (laughs) look.
0: (laughs) The thing is that, okay, my thing is like, you know, like I don't think this applies to Carol, but it might apply to the handmaiden. Like, they might be two women who are having sex, but would they identify as queer? You know?
1: It's a good question.
0: would they allow, like, not that they have the words for that, and they probably don't, but, like, you know, would these two characters exist, you know, like, like, would, like, I don't, like, I don't see Lady Hideko changing her Facebook profile to say, like, likes women. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, stuff.
1: Uh, kind of thing. So, here is my, here's my argument to that. I think sure. if the movie ends differently, I think I agree with you. But the fact that they end up together yeah, right, tells me something. You know what I mean? So Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I hear what you're saying though, for sure. Um but I don't think any of these characters are solely defined. I think our discussion about part one proves part two yeah. that they're not solely defined by their orientation. I yeah. think that's definitely true. Um and obviously I think if you if you remove either of these two female characters, the story's a little different. Um, okay. and probably a lot more boring. Yeah. So. <laughs> two perverts yeah. stealing money from each other. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I'd watch that movie too. Let's be real. Yeah. <laughs> so, what do you think we've? Uh, what have we learned from the handmaid?
0: Um, I mean, one thing that I learned from you know when I rewatched this movie is like how to like think about you know nudity on screen. Um, it's, mm. it's something that I find if I find myself increasingly fascinated by um, because uh-huh. of. I feel like whenever I see, like, a sex scene, I can kind of, like, um, picture the, like, nudity clause there their contracts, like, in my mind <laughs> watching it, being like, well, I see that, you know, she's showing this, but not that, and he's, you know, he's doing this, but not that, and so it's like, well, clearly it's, you know, how heavily negotiated these things are, so, you know, like, I, I think with this movie, like... Um, You know, because we were talking earlier about, um, like, the the how divisive this movie can be. You know, with queer women, Um, just like to like think more like clearly and like um, to kind of I like understand like what representation of sexuality means for different people and how to like. Interpret you know the same like interpret sex scenes in a different way based on you know your own personal um, taste and ideas and background and and preferences. So I mean to me it's like I, and and yeah to me it's like you know nudity I think is a very powerful part of a film like this because mm-hmm. you know it is you know directed by a straight a straight man and um, it is meant for. Um, a presumably, I guess, like majority straight audience. I think. I mean, he's not, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he made this movie, you know, for the gays. No, I agree. Um, yes. So it's interesting to, to to think about that more, and also like just how, like how fascinating would it be to get more films that are you know written by you know English white people and translate those to different cultures I mean I, that, it's not rare but you know when it's done really well like this it can be very very fascinating culturally yeah how about you definitely
1: uh, one thing I want to mention, I hope it wasn't too flippant when I was talking about queer women's perspectives, because that is not my perspective. So if, uh, if you have thoughts about this and you listen to the show, please feel free to contact yeah, us on Twitter at Queer and Now Pod. I would definitely love to hear your perspective, because by its nature is going to be more, uh, it'd be more ingrained in, in your viewing of the film because you yeah. are a queer woman and I am not. So definitely open to yeah, discussions exactly. about that.
0: Yeah. Like you and I For can sure. both look at this from like an objective kind of way of being like, cause you know, it's not a representation of ourselves, but yeah, it's not I, affecting me. Yeah, yeah. I could definitely see how people would find it very off putting. And to me, like the politics of that is fascinating. And I think with this movie, because it's a movie that I actually really love and that, like, mm-hmm. um, like I can't be like, well, I don't like this movie, so the sex part of me can defend me because I don't like the movie. <laughs> you know, but like, right. this, is this movie exactly. I really like, and to, like, wrestle with the um, more, like, possibly problematic parts of it is very fascinating.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's very, very complex, for yeah. sure. Um, I think the thing I'm taking away from this movie most of all is that um, the sexiest and most romantic parts of a movie, even a movie filled with sex, don't have to be about sex. Yeah. I mean you had mentioned that kind of that tooth scene, uh which is just lovely not only because it shows the kind of gentleness that she's treating her with but also the kind of that look of desire on her face as this is happening so it's like gives across that message to you without needing to show nudity or having people moan or having a sex scene Uh, and then we talked at length about the kind of the destruction of the books sequence as being like just the kind of pinnacle of romance so that was cool to see because it's very easy to be like, oh, well, a movie can be sexy without showing sex, but this does both this has these sexy moments that aren't sexualized but also has the sex the sex scenes as well yeah. so it's really interesting to see that kind of all in one film so that's what I'm taking from uh taking from the handmaiden on this viewing
0: I saw your mom last night I hate it. hmm
1: Yeah, I bet you do. I hated my mom, too. I miss her
0: like hell now, though. That's all I'm going to say about
1: A faggot. A faggot is a a word used to make gay people feel bad.
0: Amar a faggot? No. No. You mm-hmm. could be gay, but you never
1: let nobody call you no faggot. I mean, unless... How do I know? You
0: just do. all right
1: now not yet Um, so now we are transferring to our second uh, movie in this episode uh, the Oscar winner Moonlight Um, kind of I think widely seen as a modern masterpiece uh, depending on, on who you talk to uh, so uh, Moonlight, of course, came out in 2000, 2016, written and directed uh, by Barry Jenkins, which is actually based on an unpublished play uh, called uh, In Moonlight, Black Boys Look Blue. Um, so this is a movie, again, this is interesting that these both came out in the same year, and these both have like part one, part two, part three. They're both kind of segmented in uh, in similar ways, but obviously very different films. Um, so Manish in general, what is your what is your reaction not only to Moonlight but to rewatching Moonlight?
0: Yeah, um Moonlight I can easily say I think it's probably my favorite movie of the decade. Um, mm. uh, and I think it's just such a it's such a like Miracle of a movie, and I hate. I mean, that's such a dumb phrase, but like, um, mm-hmm. because it does so many things right, and that it's also like an important piece of representation, and it's also like a historic movie in a lot of ways. So it's like, mm-hmm. you know, like it, it's so. I mean, it's just so like it the the way that the the way that Barry Jenkins films it is just so unique. I mean, his use of color, his use of music. His use of camera work and editing and his dialogue, his characters. I mean, I think this movie is, like, as close to perfect as any movie can be. um, Because I think it's just, like... It... It's, like, the movie that is... There's just hardly any movies that are just so, like, achingly empathetic and warm. Yeah. And that can really take the time to... Um, take the time to get to know its characters and to allow the audience to see the world from their perspective, even if it's just for, you know, a scene or two. But it's like there are just no... there's There are no characters, no bad guys, no good guys. It's just, like, so just, like, compassionate. And it's, I mean... Mm-hmm. There are a lot of movies that, are that there are a lot of movies that are very compassionate, but just like combining that that kind of in, intangible quality of compassion and empathy with this like astoundingly directed film, you know, with uh-huh. the yeah, just I just think this movie is just incredible and beyond beyond words, as you can tell from my inarticulate <laughs> rambling.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think. Um, I think it's incredible that this is directed by someone who's not queer. Yeah. Uh, it's stunning. I mean, of course it's written, it's semi autobiographical, uh, script. So it's written by a a queer man. Um, so it definitely has that going for it and you can feel it. But like, as you said, like, and maybe this is, this is a shitty take, uh, towards straight men. Uh, but straight men in general, uh, not really taught to be super empathetic. Um, so to have that much empathy on film and you get like, it's palpable. Yeah, you can absolutely feel it. Um, and I think, uh, shockingly, all three parts of this work just as well. Um, I think uh, you can you can see the growth of this character and the way he changes and the and the way he hides. Um, the, the film opens with him literally hiding um, from bullies in his neighborhood. Um, and then, you know, you have the middle section where he's hiding his sexuality and hiding from school bullies again and then in the last in the last part uh inside of black you have him literally hiding behind behind the trappings of masculinity Um, so he has this like full process and he's except in maybe one or two sequences he's always terrified to be gentle Um, and i think that's and again not the person to talk about this in depth but this this says a lot about the experience not only of gay black men but about black men um, in our culture and not not allowing not being allowed to be soft, always having to have your guard up for a number of societal reasons um, that are protective. Uh, but I think you feel that all the way through. I think this movie is almost perfect. I I'm not a fan of Naomi Harris's uh, performance here. It's like the one part that stands out to me as being over the top in a movie that is incredibly subtle all the way through. It's the one part that kind of stands out to me. It's not that it's, it's a terrible, it's just like, it's again, you're nitpicking in a movie that's almost perfect. So yeah. it's still, it's still pretty incredible. But like, I think the two performances that really stand out to me, um, are Trevante Rhodes, who plays black, who plays, you know, our lead character of Chiron in the third, in the third bit. Cause it's a very, it's a very understated performance and becomes very soft. As it as it kind of moves through, and I love that it starts with him being rough. It starts with the fronts, and it starts with the the drug dealing and the counting money and the threatening and all that stuff, and slowly morphs into this kind of coming back to his first love, you know. And it's it's pretty incredible. And also, you know, Mahershala Ali, who won the Oscar for this and well deserved. Um, there is a particular sequence when he first befriends um, Little um, and. I watched it again and was shocked by how much it moved me again because there's a there's a discussion about the word faggot, um, which every gay person has heard in anger at least once, um, and this this worry about one what it means and what it means that he is, um, and I love it's so well written. I love this this question of like what does that mean, and I love that Mahershala Ali's character says. You know, basically it's a word to make gay people feel bad. Yeah. And I was just like, wow. Oh my God. The efficiency of that line, because it tells you so much. It tells you that this is going to be a story about a young gay man. And it also tells you that like, there's a way to have this discussion, even as a straight person, that, that you can show that kid or that person, this is wrong. The way people are treating you is wrong and hurtful. And it doesn't matter if you are gay or not. No one should call you that. And it just blew me away because it was not what I was expecting no. from this character. You know, and it's just like you I, you would maybe expect it from um, from Janelle Monet's character, you know, but to have this kind of, you know, very masculine looking, strong black man say this to this kid is incredibly powerful
0: yeah and it's the kind of like um I totally agree with you that it was not what I was expecting from you know from the uh, from that scene because like um there's so many ways to like to have the conversation but kind of make it like in a way homophobic than it than it hmm. needs to be like it could have been like no like you're not that because like you know you're just like you're like you're you're not a faggot because you're not gay. You know what I mean. But instead, right. it's like no, you're not because like that's not a good word for anyone to say or against anyone else. So yeah, I mean like Mahershala Ali, like this man, like I mean, he's been acting for a, a long time. And I, but I, you know, I think a lot of people took notice of him in, in both this and Luke Cage uh, on Netflix. And I think that's kind of his like somewhat breakout, I guess. Even though he's been a while, he's been around for a while, but. His performance in this movie, like he's only in one third of the film, which is a, a, a somewhat disappointing because he's just the kind of character that you want to have around. Like, you kind of wish that you know Chiron had him throughout his yeah throughout his life. But I, that's the that's the beauty of this film too is that you know he may not be physically there, but like uh, that. The tenderness he showed to to little in the first third of the film will is um, carrying Sharon I think through his life, and I think that like mm. it it would almost be like less realistic if um, Lee had been in the whole film, just because like it'll be almost like too easy for him to have that mentor, but to have the mentor like taken away off screen, it's like so so. Um, so gutting, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's like, God, I can't even talk about this movie. There's just so, (laughs) like, there's just so many, like, little scenes, um, you know, and that are so, like, profound, and, and, um, just, like, take, take such a surprising turn in how they play out, and, Yes, you know, and maybe it's just because of like, I mean, like you were saying, like, Bear Jenkins being straight, um, you just like wouldn't expect him to like know the nuances of like queerness at that age of all the ages, you know. Mm -hmm. But he just like. It's not even that he like gets it. it's just that he has such empathy that it just feels authentic. you know I think whatever he would have done and whatever choices he would have made for this film it would have felt just as authentic because he's just such a like you know open hearted filmmaker mhm-,
1: yeah, absolutely, and i you know there's a lot of there's a lot of things that maybe you wouldn't notice on first watch that come through on second yeah. and third watch, like I mean. I, one of the characters I love the most in this movie is the character of Kevin uh, as a teenager, as a, as an adult, because it, you know, talk about things going a different way than you expect. Uh, because he's introduced as kind of this, like, you know, in high school, but kind of a player, you know, like having sex with all these girls doing all this stuff. But there's this like undercurrent of like sensuality to that character in the way, in the way that he interacts. um, with Chiron and, uh, and it's, it's wonderfully done because just like Chiron, you're like not sure. Like, does he see into me? What is happening? Like, it's just on that border of like not being sure, which is like every gay person who has come out in high school has been through this where they're like, uh, are you, are we, are we friends or what's, what's happening here? And you get all of that and you get that energetic stuff from it. And you also come to understand even if you didn 't have the the ending, you would understand how important Kevin is to Chiron because I think it 's really interesting that he ends up going by the nickname that Kevin gave him in high school, yeah, Kevin was the first one to call him black, and that is the that 's what he went through life with. It was like this it 's interesting because it 's like this masculine blanket that he can wear to protect himself because it is a very rough name, right, but yeah. it has this memory of this tender moment that he shared with the, with his first love and maybe his only love. And yeah. he gets to carry that with him. And I think that, that third, that third part is so interesting to me because, okay, it's like, I'm going to be real. The first time I saw this movie, I was like, Oh my God, that man is so fucking beautiful. I can't even deal as soon as he popped up on screen. And then it's a really interesting process because I ended up feeling guilty um, for having this attraction for this actor because everything that I was enjoying physically about that actor is armor. Mm. It's all the things that he's taken on Fascinating. so no one messes with him. Right, yeah. he's got the fronts. He's got he's got the the kind of swagger. He constantly lifts weights so he can look tough. I mean, it's like and it's such an incredible acting performance by Trevante Rhodes because there's that part of him, and then when he sees Kevin again, it's like you can see him melt when he sees him, yeah. and as he's like cooking for him, and it's just it's tremendous. And I just I kind of can't get over that process, you know. I think and I think Andre Holland is also perfect as as the adult Kevin. Like, that sequence, that kind of, like, fantasy sequence where he's dreaming of him and he's smoking, I mean, that is, like, one of the sexiest shots Hello. I've seen in decades. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. And then I love when he sees him, there's this, like, it's not just a sexually charged scene, it's like a caretaking scene. Like, let me talk to you. Let me cook for you. Let me take care of you in this moment. And then the movie ends... With him just, like, doing the most the most gentle thing you can do is just, like, lying your head on someone's shoulder and accepting comfort. And it was just, like, that is what Chiron has been missing his entire life. He gets moments of comfort, right? Yeah. You get the Mahershala Ali character. You know, you get the Kevin character a little bit, but there's still a little, like, distance there. They still don't talk about what they did, really. And then you finally get that real, honest-to-God comfort yeah. At the end of this movie and it's it's a movie filled with terrible things happening to this young man, so I love that it ends with just this this wonderful little gentle moment as the credits roll it's absolutely beautiful yeah
0: yeah I mean i um i I've, I've, what I think about you know the the third the third part of the film, which I think is probably my favorite part of it um is that Black, in a way, I think like Black and Kevin both like in some ways are becoming the E character, uh, and what mm. I mean is that Black is becoming like the the kind of the tough exterior part, the, like the drug dealer, the you know living in like the, the like a poor neighborhood, like dealing with all this kind of like, rough parts of life, but Kevin. Is becoming the like tender part of Marshall. What's these character's name? I'm sorry, I forgot. Is it? Um, oh,
1: Juan. Juan.
0: Right, Juan. So uh, Kevin is becoming the like tender parts of Juan. You know, he's giving and nurturing and sweet and empathetic. And I mean, it's no, it's no mistake that Kevin makes that meal for him. And you know, little is. You know, fed so often at Teresa and Juan's house, you know, like he eats dinner Mm -hmm. there. And it's this whole thing of like giving food as a show of like love and warmth. And it's something Mm -hmm. like, it's something that he never got with his mom, uh, Paula, because she, I mean, she had her own demons, she had her own things going on, and she couldn't be there for him in the way that these other characters could. So, I mean, um, like, I, I just, like, I find the dynamic between Kevin and and all three iterations of Chiron to be so intriguing because, like, you know, Kevin, in some ways, is kind of, an, he's, like, an object. He's kind of, like, unknowable. Because, like, mm-hmm. as much as he, like, reveals about himself, like, there's always that distance there. Especially in the, the middle part. Um, because, like, he does, I mean, he does betray Chiron, you know, in the schoolyard. Like, um, mm-hmm. In a way that, you know, it's hard to watch, but kind of makes sense because, like, you just got to look out for yourself. And he might have been feeling mm-hmm. some shame over their beach, you know, um, encounter. Or maybe he wasn't, but... um, But, you know, like, this like, the way this, this film, like, frames Kevin is so is very mm-hmm. interesting to me because he's so unknowable even though he's such an open open book. Like it's like that it's a weird balance yeah. there.
1: Yeah, and I think structurally it's so interesting because um and this I think the structure is why by the end of the film it feels healing. You know? yeah. So if you look at the first two parts um, basically you're introduced something bad is happening and then there's some salve, right either it's Juan and Teresa taking care of him or it's like this first sexual moment with Kevin Yeah. and then by the end of those two parts something is being taken away in the first part you know it's all the stuff with his mom and in the second part I mean he's literally getting punched in the face by a person who showed him tenderness and showed him love yeah. you know in film terms 10 minutes ago yeah. and in the third part it starts with anger, you know, it starts with him, like not being sure about the situation and ends with tenderness, you know? So it's like, it's such a nice way to wrap this up because I think if you, if you look at the character of little Chiron black all through the movie, there's this, you can see it in his eyes. There's this undercurrent of pain and rage. That's just constantly there. Um, So for the film to end with someone taking away that rage and that pain, even for a moment, I think it's something that, like, obviously this is particularly intense and representation mattering for black queer men. But I think for any queer guy, I think this has a dramatic impact because it's so it's so rare, especially as a young queer man, that you can just relax into. Your queerness and your feelings, yeah. You know, and throughout the movie, there's not a moment where you feel like, and even when he's with Juan and Teresa, you can see, you can almost picture his little fists are clenched mm-hmm. through this. Like he just, he can't, tr- he can't trust this kindness. And I think the first time he really trusts kindness is the last frame of the film. Yeah,
0: exactly. And I mean, it's just, yeah. I mean, it's just so, like these little moments are just so impactful you know like like I mean the the comment about the clenched fist is really good something I hadn't noticed um when I watched it or if I registered subconsciously but yeah I mean like Little is so apprehensive and I mean so is Chiron like they're both just so on edge and it's I think what's so cathartic about the third part is just, like, how much of that is just relieved by by Andre Holland's presence in the film, and by his... Just the way he talks, and the way he's so, like, you
1: know, open... Open with, mm-hmm. with uh, Black And not only open, but, like, calls him on his shit. Yeah. He's the only person that knows him, yeah. you know, the only person who's come up, come to him as an adult and been like, dude, who... I mean, he says, who is you? Like, what, you, what is this? What is the fronts? What are the, you know, any comments? Like, doesn't look like you missed a meal. Like, you're huge. Like, what is going on yeah. with you, you know? Because, like, he is, I think, except for Kevin, he's left everything in his past behind. This is the only thing in his mind that stuck. You know, so he's the only person who can call him on this stuff, which is, I mean, that we all have those people in our lives, you know, who if they came back today would totally mess your life up, you know? (laughs) Like, it's just like, oh man, you know, so much about me. You've got the keys, you know? And Kevin really has since the first moment they met.
0: Yeah. And I mean, who is you is kind of the like running line in the film. And it's (laughs) such a like, it's such a piercing question, right? Um, yeah. um. But I I, I want to talk about like um a lot of like the like the little moments in the film like for example the like swimming lesson in the first third mm. um which many people have said is baptismal um, sure <laughs> it's like. So, like, I don't mean to make fun of that, but I just feel like it's, I've read that so many times about Moonlight. It's like, oh, the baptismal swimming lesson scene. And I'm like, okay. Uh, <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like, I'm sure everyone thought that it was an original thought, but like, it's not.
1: <laughs> um, yes, you're a genius. We get it. Bye. And
0: there's also <laughs> the scene of um, the boys playing in that first third and um, mm-hmm. just like the way the camera moves and like, the, the music is so uh, I think it's like some kind of like operatic number I can't quite remember the name of it but it's like um, oh god it's just like who would even have thought to put like that music with little boys kind of roughing around on a field right And it's, mm-hmm. just, it's just like these little like tiny scenes of just like beauty of just normalcy of everyday life um, and then my favorite scene is um, the in the, the the last third when Kevin is cooking and then he plays Hello Stranger on the jukebox, and mm. you're just like, mm. oh my god, love is real. <laughs>
1: yeah, absolutely. And I think you know. I understand why people went to the baptism reference and yeah, it's kind I mean, of true. I think in this this uh, just tearing yeah. it so many times. But I think in this movie I think this movie water is more indicative of transition yeah. more than anything else and this kind of combination yeah. of danger and soothing. Um, and I think it's it's pretty upfront about that, especially in the scene with Juan kind of teaching him how to swim. But even yeah. his first sexual moment happens it's on the, on the shores. Yeah. You know, yeah. like in it, a It's it's a big big moment for him that is life changing um, that stays with him for the entire time. I think you know the baptism thing is like I don't know. It's probably not to be a jerk about this, but I think it's probably the simplest reading of a great sequence that you could possibly make. Like I'm just like okay, like come on. There's more to it than that, and it's and it's pretty upfront with the symbolism. I don't think it's trying to hide it at all.
0: Well, for me, like, I mean, I I did read it as, you know, like, kind of, a sp- like, spiritual, but there's also something, like, there's, like, one shot that has always been on my mind with Moonlight is that, like, um, it's a shot with Little and Juan standing on the beach, and you just have Mahershala Lee and all, it's just, like, totally beautiful man, right? Just, like, mm-hmm. and I remember thinking, like, Oh, like this might be like the first time that little is like. I mean, he's what nine? I guess ten. Oh. Like he's like old enough to like subconsciously be attracted to, like have some kind of like physical attraction. So I remember thinking like that scene being like, mm. you know, it, it could also be his like the first little inkling that like he might be attracted to men. And, yeah. uh because there's always, there's always, I mean, we all have that, like, one moment in our childhoods where it's, like, not even that, like, we knew what was going on, but just the, like, our, just, like, brain was just, like, it just, like, clicked somewhere, right? Right. hmm
1: so, like, I've, I've, yeah, I, didn't, I didn't think I, about that, but yeah. that, that's an interesting read of that scene. Um, and it's a little right. And anytime you think about stuff like that, it's a little uncomfortable, right? It's this like father figure, but there's also this sexual component to him, and you know, I think uh, I think I don't think it's a coincidence that what he finally achieves with Kevin is this calmness and this gentleness, yeah. and that's exactly who Juan has been for him as a kid like that's who he's yeah, always been yeah. so that's what he's always been moving towards
0: right um, yeah I mean yeah you're right it is uncomfortable um, but I also think that like
1: but it's real it's I mean it's a real thing yeah, yeah
0: absolutely. Yeah. I remember like when this movie like uh, was coming out like there was some talk about the fact that like Black and Kevin don't really kiss you know in their last third and like They are kind of, like, cuddling together, but they're not, you know, in bed naked together. Like, there's no... Like, you know, that's... Not Mm this movie, like, needed a sex scene. I'm so glad that it only had that, like, one kind of awkward teen one. Not anything that's, like, too erotic, because it would just be too jarring um, for the, the tone. But, like... You know, like we were saying with The Handmaiden, like, you know, what's being shown, what's not being shown, like, it's always, it's never a coincidence, right? And, like, I, right. am the one thing that I would really kind of hold against this movie is that, like, I did want to see the two adults, you know, kiss or have some kind of, um, more pronounced sexual intimacy, you know? I mean... Sure. And it's like...
1: Yeah, uh, I mean I get that perspective yeah. um, it makes a lot of sense to me but also it would be very jarring for Black to do that um, yeah. I think he is he's so repressed that like this level of intimacy that we got in this movie is like a giant leap forward Yeah, you know and who knows what's, what happens after the credits roll like there's plenty of time for that but if they if they had that moment although it would have been wonderful to see on screen just seeing like you know, black gay sexuality on yeah. screen, Which you don't really get much here. I mean you get the the thing on the beach and that's that's a moment, but it is that kind of awkward teenage thing.
0: Like that's not um, oh, yeah, yeah, it's not like erotic, of course. But like Right, right. Um I guess I mean not to be like a checklist SJW kind of person. Like I'm not you know, like I <laughs> totally like thematically it totally makes sense, but like at the same time like I don't know, like now I'm putting so much pressure on this movie of like being like something that I want it to be and not what it is, but it's just like yeah, like you know, you never see men of color like or you hardly ever see men of color like kiss and have some kind of like mm-hmm. erotic chemistry together. And yeah. like I i I mean this movie didn't need it and but I it's part of me is just like, well, is it a conscious choice that it wasn't there? And beyond mm. the, like, thematic part, you know, is there some kind of, like, they right. were, like, I guess, I like, I just can't in the like, back of my mind think, like, well, did Trevante Rose and Audrey Holland refuse to kiss each other? Or did Barry Jenkins mm. not want to, like, shoot a sexual scene between two men? Or did someone at age 24 or whatever be like, no, we can't have this. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. that stuff gets in my head so much just because, like... Sure. I mean, like... Because that does happen. And the I thing mean, is, that's... like, we also, like, it's rare, so rare to see male, like men being like sexual with each other unless it's foreign or like, you know queer as folk or whatever but like so like a movie like this, like, I don't know I just feel like if it was a m- movie about two women, we would see them making out more often for
1: sure, for sure And like, I, mean, I guess you're, you know, you're just gonna have to wait for Moonlight 2, that's uh <laughs> you're just gonna have to wait for the sequel yeah, <laughs> and <is>. like
0: <laughs> Sorry, not to get all like political or whatever. It's just no, but the, that I think the, about. Gendered, the
1: gendered thing is interesting yeah. to me because I think you're right. If this was, I mean, we've seen plenty of, uh, I mean, already on this kind of journey on this podcast, yeah. we've seen, you know, movies about two women in love. And, you know, that's one of the first things that usually happens. Yeah. Like, even in something like Carol that takes its time, you still get that moment. Yeah. And you don't really get it here. But, uh, to defend it for a moment, I think uh, the character of Chiron is so repressed that, like, it, it does make sense thematically. Yeah, yeah, you're so absolutely I'm gonna, right. I'm going to try and give Barry Jenkins all the benefit of the doubt and just think this was a conscious choice based on character and not based on politics and box office. Because this movie was never going to make a bunch of money anyway. So, <laughs> you know, I think, I think it's a it's
0: Yeah,
1: no, no, I agree. And, I mean...
0: Yeah, and like he doesn't shy away from sex. I mean, obviously, Bill She could talk was a very sexy movie. Um mm-hmm. and and that in in that movie was more romantic, I think. Like I don't think yes. this movie is like a love story. I mean, it is, no. but it's not like it's more like Chiron's journey and his own personal thing yeah like,
1: it's not it's not yeah. a romance yeah like it's not you know, right yeah.
0: and so again like I feel bad even saying that because I think this is a perfect movie but I just want to bring it up because like it does you know I remember I remember being in the theater and my first time seeing this movie being like oh okay they didn't kiss so
1: and what did Gary uh Manisha's take Moonlight perfect movie, but not sexy enough. That's that's, uh, oh, that's what we're going with. <laughs> See,
0: when you say things like that, people don't know that you're joking.
1: <laughs> uh, that's the best part. Uh, no, no, I know that you don't think that, but I, I mean, I can definitely understand that perspective, especially if you've, you know, if you've lived through any amount of time and have seen a lot of queer movies, you've seen a lot of the kind of the containing of Of queer sexuality in movies, yeah, you know, you see like you don't sexuality, especially yeah, absolutely. So, so I could definitely understand it. But what about uh, what about the Russo test? Uh, I'm not going to read it off again because I'm very tired. uh, But does this pass the Russo test? (laughs)
0: Um, Yeah, I believe it. I mean, it does, right? Like he's identifiably queer, um, Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. So maybe you will have to read it because I can't remember the second. Yeah, time.
1: yeah, it's uh, you know, so the first part uh, definitely identifiably queer, and yeah. let's be real, so is so is Kevin, right? Um, because he's pretty identifiably bisexual. Oh yeah, Kevin is like um, a bi icon, right? Like. I know. Oh, yeah. yeah. Good for him. Good for Kevin. Um, also doesn't mind being watched, so he's got that going for him, too. Yeah. So Kevin, Kevin's the hero. God bless him. Um, and the character can't be solely or predominantly defined by their sexual orientation. And it's interesting because, you know, Moonlight is very clearly seen as, like, a a gay movie, right? But I don't think – I think the character is much more complex than just being – a gay stereotype or just like if you take away his gayness, then he's not an interesting character. I think there's a lot going on there. Yeah, for uh, sure. and obviously I mean, obviously if you remove Shiron from this movie. He's uh, the main character. Yeah, yeah. you can't. There's no him movie. Out. Yeah. So so yeah. So yeah, definitely passes the Brusso test. But let's close off with what we've learned. So what did you learn from rewatching Moonlight? Ugh,
0: man, I don't even know. It's like this I think just like every time I watch this movie it just makes me feel more empathetic, you know it makes me mm-hmm. feel more um open eyed about everything I, it you know I, I really really and not I mean this sounds so cheesy, but like it really helps to think about like everyone's lives that I come into contact with I mean like right now like you know like we're going out to the store for like our essential stuff because we're you know in the middle of this like nightmare. And it's like, yeah, like, the people who are, like, buying the groceries, people who are, like, working there, like... It's, like, obviously, like, I know, like, of course they have their own lives. Of course they're, like... You know, it's not that I'm, like, totally devoid of empathy, but it's just, like, watching this movie just reminds me of, like... You know, like, it just, like, it helps me to be more, like... um, More empathetic, more compassionate, in a way, and just, like... You know, like, this movie is, like, the kind of movie that, like, wants you to be a better person for having watched it. And I think that's, Mm -hmm. like, I think I really achieved that. And, um, yeah, I mean, I just, like, I really find this movie to be so special and so, like, dear, like, just, like, dear to my heart. And just, like, I just have Mm -hmm. such a, like, connection to it. And I, like, really, I mean, like... My one dumb like ripe aside, like which is like not even real because I <laughs> understand, but like I think it's like really close to perfect. I really don't have any tangible issues with it. Like I know that you like you know aren't a fan of Naomi Harris's performance. I can definitely see that. But I definitely don't think it's like an unintended... I don't think she just like messed up her performance. Like I think she's like doing something very specific.
1: Oh, um, it was purposeful. Yeah. Sure. Yes
0: but yeah, this movie is just like, it just, you know, makes me want to be a better person as dumb as that sounds. Mm.
1: <laughs> Boy, that's hard to follow. Sorry, um,
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you always make me go first.
1: Um, <laughs> 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 no, I think, I think for me, um, what I really learned from watching this movie and kind of every time I watch it is kind of the, uh, the appalling lack of intimacy and gentleness that men have. Mm. Um, And it's, it's almost sad to me that that last scene is so, so intense. And so all, I mean, borderline strange to see um, whether in queer movies or straight movies or any kind of movies to see two men literally leaning on one another is, is a shocking image to see. And it still is. Um, And it, you know, so this movie in a lot of ways, like you mentioned it, you know, makes you think about the inner lives of people and makes you want to be better. In some ways, this movie is, even though it ends on an up note in terms of the film, it, it leaves me feeling depressed, not about the movie, but about the world and about men and how we traffic in in violence in uh in the the armor of toughness you know and really watching this really makes that hit home and we could we could use more gentleness we could use more empathy and we could use more kindness so that's what i what i take from it yeah yeah all right so um that is it for this episode on our next episode uh so we you know spent some time on this episode on queer people of color and we go a totally different direction in our next episode uh because we're going to be uh watching call me by your name uh which i don't think has a person of color in it at all um so going a very different direction, but another really good movie. So uh that's what we're gonna talk about in two weeks. Uh but until then, uh Manish, tell them where they can find you online. You can find me on Twitter at the Manish eighty nine. That's T
0: H E M A N I S H eight Nine. Also my podcast, it pod to be you, um, which you can find on Twitter at Be and anywhere else you find your
1: podcasts. Yes, and uh, if you want to find me for some reason, uh, you can, of course, look at Talk Film Society. Lots of writing being done there by both of us. Um, And you can follow me on Twitter at Dave A. Giannini. That's G-I-A-N-N-I-N-I.